Well, we're here in the Caribbean, judging from the surroundings and my apparel, and uh, we're on a working vacation, that everyone should be working in the Caribbean. But this time we want to continue the discussions that we've been presenting in, this, in these very difficult times. Everyone knows at this time that the world is being shaken, that everything that can be shaken is being shaken. But we're also noticing a unique feature of the shaking. Religion has come under ferocious and intense shaking. The world is being shaken, no doubt. Nations are being shaken. But the most violent tremors seem to be directed toward that which calls itself the church. In the last segment, we talked about how uh, the evangelical church, by aligning itself with American politics, has now been isolated and identified as one of the principal causes of the division within the nation. We're also noticing that reports are coming out about uh, investigations into the Roman Church um, in which the details of their brutality to the most innocent are not only shocking the conscience of this nation but the nations around the world and in fact inspiring a broader and broader investigation into the decades of violent sexual abuse against the most vulnerable of children, of people, of their constituencies, people who believe, who sent their children uh, to the care of this, uh, of this institution. This is a time when no one wants to hear the truth. It's a time when we, it, we live in a time that's called the post-truth era. Uh, we live in a time in which there is something called fake news. And it's really just a device by which everyone wants to discredit someone else or the stories that do not line up with their point of view and to maintain their control or to, to be able to, to find some footing in difficult and shaking times in which to continue to do business as usual. Now that's not going to happen. Truth is not just people's opinion about things. Truth is a person. Jesus claimed the status of being the person of the truth. Even nature appears to agree with us. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The Holy Spirit was sent to us and he is called the Spirit of Truth. I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth because things can be true but not necessarily the truth. In this time, of untruth in this time of post-truth, as some call it, or fake news. The reason that it's viewed that way 
is that each side tells only the facts that agree with their point of view. And when the other side is told, those facts are called into question. Now, it's, it may be factually true, but until and unless it has the spirit of truth to it, it is fake, it is par partial, and it is a lie. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And what restrains us is the spirit of truth. That is an attitude toward truth that comes from the fear of God. And that's the problem in the times in which we live. It seems like no one fears God because no one thinks that he or she is ultimately accountable except to a constituency that already chooses to believe it. The spirit of truth is rooted in the fear of the Lord. And in fact, whoever possesses the Holy Spirit, who, in whomever the Holy Spirit lives, is restrained by the Spirit who is the Spirit of Truth. It's easy enough to tell when someone is not led by the Holy Spirit because they will skew everything to prove their point, irrespective of what the rest of it is. It's as easy, however, to tell who is walking in the Spirit, whose decisions are being made by the Spirit of God, because they are compelled, they're compelled by that Spirit, the Spirit of, of God, the Holy Spirit. They're compelled to give you all the information of which they're aware, so that the decisions you make and the information you have will result in what is actually the truth. The Roman Church has for a long time used the power of the state, used the power of politics to obfuscate, to set aside, to blind, to dim, to diminish that which is true. But now, when, when the lid is off, when the times have come where we are being confronted with the bankruptcy of the lack of truth, the fact that in every aspect of life, in the absence of the lack of truth, where, there is, where the truth is not told, there is no system that can maintain itself. Because the only thing that can maintain anything is its connection to the life-giving spirit. So if your spirit, if what you're saying is not rooted in this vital connection to the very being of God, you cannot maintain it. It cannot be maintained. It has a life cycle. What we're seeing now is that even things that had a life cycle of millennia but were wrong are being disclosed now in the day when truth <clears throat> is shining forth and will become available to whoever has the spirit of truth. Whoever does not have the spirit of truth will perish 
and the works that they have established will perish along with them. <coughs> Pardon me. The same thing is true of the evangelical church. I'm astonished at how many times in my rather long career I would discover something in the scriptures that was true. And I would eagerly go out, when I was a young man, I would eagerly go out and try to talk with the pastor or friends I had who were in the ministry or even people in, in school when I went to seminary. <laughs> they were and they are the least likely people to change. I'm astonished at how lacking in interest in the truth those who stand in the pulpit with, with some exceptions of course but mostly across the board as a category they're not interested in the truth. That's what's led them into this political environment to which they're entirely unsuited because this is the world in its primary and most basic native format. And they come with a mixture of Bible and their own ambitions. They're the least qualified. I'm defining for you both the, the issue of how things have gotten to be so confused and how the church has become so bankrupt. In, underneath it all is the truth. And as in nature, when something old is passing away, something new is the thing that pushes it out. If, when, when a child is going from the, the teeth of, infant, of an infant to the teeth of a young adult, the new growth underneath pushes out the old. It is this new growth underneath, the thing that God began to do from the very time he put man in the earth. That thing is now coming forth and it's pushing out everything that has taken its place. So part of what I want to talk to you about in this series is the question of what should you believe in this time when everything that can be shaken is being shaken, what should you believe? Who speaks the truth? Where should you stand? You don't have the option of not standing. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so says the book of Hebrews. But you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, where you stand has to do with what is this kingdom that cannot be shaken. I'm not wanting to engage in this series a discussion of the kingdom. What I am wanting to engage, however, is a discussion of who you are within the overall scheme of God which existed prior to the creation of the world. That's my interest. Now, God said something when he made, when he established this creation. At the very beginning, he said, 
or in, in the book of Genesis, it begins to speak about the earth. And it says, now the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Bible operates on two levels. God knew that man would be lost, and he knew that in his lost state, he couldn't hear spiritual things, as spiritual things. In his lost state, he could only hear natural things. So the Bible is written on one level to remind man through natural things of this eternal estate, of this greater estate. But when man returns to God through Christ, God begins to reculture the man to this eternal state. So the shift is from speaking to his soul and speaking to him through physical things, through his flesh, to speaking to him through his spirit. So the Bible begins to open on a different level when, the, when man be, returns to God and is walking in the spirit of God. Such a man is called a son of God. And by man here, of course, you know I mean humankind, not a specific reference to the male gender or the female gender, because the spirit of man is neither. It's neither male nor a female. The spirit of man makes him, puts him in line to be a son of God. Son being heir or offspring of God. Spirit begets spirit like flesh begets flesh. In our flesh, we are males and females. In our spirits, we can only be the sons of God the heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So there's a point at which when we return to God, that point of return is established by receiving the Spirit of God into and hosting the Spirit of God in our spirits. And the first thing that the Spirit with our spirits confirm is that we are sons of God. That spirit, who I earlier referred to as the spirit of truth, begins to illuminate our understanding by bringing into our frame of reference, by bringing into our thought process, by bringing into the mind of our spirit eternal things. And when we look at the scriptures, they begin to open at that level to us. And I'll give you an example right now by way of taking us back into the question of where should you stand? Where can you stand when everything that can be shaken in fact is being shaken? So God said, the earth was without form. The word for earth is the word Adama, A-D-A-M-A-H, Adama. You will obviously make the connection to the word Adam. A-D-A-M. The man, the Adam, was taken out of the Adama. And we can say with, without equivocation 
that the reason that the Adama was created, that the reason the earth was created, was so that man, God could take man out of it and establish him over all of it. So it says the earth was without form. The earth existed, but not in a formed way. Just like man existed, but not in a formed manner. God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. Where was Jeremiah before he was born? He was unformed before I formed you in the womb. So in a sense, the first Adam was formed out of the womb of the earth. His form, his physical form was taken out of that. But there's an existence prior to form. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the world. What does that mean? It means before God made man, before God made the earth, he provided for the salvation of man, knowing the end from the beginning, that man would depart from God. So the story does not begin at creation. The creation is the last piece of the story to be put in place, so that as the theater on which these things could unfold, all that God intended before he created anything would be brought forth. So God formed the Adam out of the Adama. But the forming of man, the forming of man is an ongoing process. The forming of man is an ongoing process. Because the Apostle Paul says that his mission, his purpose in life, his labor, if I could put it that way, he said, I'm in travail, that kind of labor, that Christ be formed in you. So the natural man was formed out of the dust of the ground, but the spiritual man is formed in Christ. That is why Christ came into the world to provide the means by which we might be shaped in the image and likeness of God, which was the whole point of creation. Shaped in the image and the likeness of God. Being essentially a spiritual man housed in a form of clay. But this spiritual man being assembled to Christ is a corporate man because it's a many-membered body, a form that is capable of receiving and assimilating and assembling the spirit of the man into the person of God. Such a spiritual body is called the body, not of Jesus, but the body of Christ. Because the reference to Christ is not a reference to his natural self. The reference to Christ is a reference to his status as the Son of God, the Eternal One. The one who said to God, Father, the glory I had with you before the foundations of the earth, that glory restore now to me. But the glory you gave me while I was with my disciples, while I was with them,
That glory I leave to them. We were created with the specific intent by God before creation, before he created the heavens and the earth, before he created man, he had in mind to create us in Christ Jesus. This is what Ephesians chapter 1 says. For we were created in Christ Jesus to be conformed to the image of his Son, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now it's obvious that I'm having substantial competition from the, the crowing of the cock, but that, that uh, hopefully is not an indication of any uh, biblical significance. Anyway, but again, this is all part of filming in nature, filming in an environment in which people are passing by and uh, the cock is crowing and so on. But it doesn't diminish from the message itself. The message is saying, in this message I'm saying, before you were created in Christ Jesus. By the way, there's thunder overhead and rain clouds are moving in. So this is, uh, these are the perils of filming in, in the open. In the image and likeness of God. When man departs from God, he doesn't see himself in the image and likeness of God. He has no identity that relates to that. His only image and likeness is that of man. He is in the image and likeness of his forebears, the natural man. As such, all he can see is what lies between his birth and his demise. And as a consequence, he tries to save himself. He tries to make himself secure to the best of what he's able to. But with that, he loses every connection to the divine order of things. So in this collapse of church, which by the way, heralds the collapse of nations, they will reboot and come out in a different format. In fact, they'll reboot and come out in a corporate format to match and to mirror what is happening in the spirit. What is happening in the spirit is a corporate man is formed in the image and likeness of God. What will happen in the world is the nations will configure themselves into a corporiety that makes them extremely useful to the purposes of the enemy. And this clash will occur between the two entities. This is inevitable. This is not just some sort of a late plan, a late shift in the plan. This is how the, that which started in the beginning will conclude in this world. And these messages obviously are designed to help you decide where you stand by giving you this basis of information. Obviously, a fool would say, this is fake news. A fool would say, this is post-truth. In fact, people have moved already beyond the teachings of Scripture. 
into human philosophy. And now from that viewpoint, they will call the teaching of scripture fake. But here is where it all comes together. There actually is a living God. And he has the capacity to distinguish between that which represents him and everything else. And in this time that we are approaching, we will see the hand of God, not the arguments of man, deciding the outcomes of all things. So where should you be? Come back, I would implore you. Come back to the unshakable foundation that God created you in Christ, even while you were in Adam. He established you in Christ to the praise of the glory of his grace. And if you will return to your standing in Christ, you cannot be shaken. And you don't need to be part of that which is patently fake, competitive, uh, destructive, where everybody is seeking, every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. You will have the capacity of standing in the truth and such a man, such a person cannot be shaken because the man of God remains forever. We will continue these messages and we will probe further and further into this identity. In each message, I'm giving you a cornerstone, a piece to hold on to. At the end, I'll summarize it all. But we, will, we want to give you a cornerstone, a piece of information that you can hold on to that will not be shaken, that cannot be shaken. It has to do with your identity, not as a church member, but as a son of God, not as a member of any particular state, although you're citizens of whatever state you might be, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that your purpose in the earth is to carry the image and the likeness of God, not the image and likeness of some cultural um, framework or some cultural imperative. You're put here as the sons of God to represent and to present the nature and the character of God himself, not the nature and character of Europeans, Americans, Asians, and the like, but the very character of God himself. So we'll continue these discussions, and uh, uh, in each one, I will continue to deposit a revelation that I believe will serve you in your return to the truth return to the foundation that was established upon Christ Jesus. For indeed, no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. I'm Sam Solon, and I'll see you next time. Thanks.